it's I feel like everyone uses that same scorecard to compare themselves. It's, you know, okay, oh, it's that quarterly business result. And everyone gets so myopically focused on that that they forget, you know, the relationships last far longer than the quarter. The impact of the work you do has a ripple effect that is far greater than the quarter. You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today we're talking about two primary topics, company culture and social responsibility and how they both impact the business. To help us, we have with us Chris Yoko, CEO of Yoko Co. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time and welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me, Chad. Excited to be here. So we do the standard kind of thing at the beginning of each one. We want to ask an off the wall question so people get a little bit better sense of, of who you are and what you're bringing to the table. And so, um, switching back to this one's like an oldie, but a goodie. But if you look back over your career, can you tell us about a defining moment or event, something that happened, maybe that changed the trajectory of your career or provided insights, uh, that you continue to leverage today? Yeah. I think there's one that, uh, most, People have been in their past in some capacity. Um, for me, it was having a bad boss and working in a, a really bad environment. Um, the defining moment was, you know, whenever I left. Uh, but before I started my business, I'd worked in a full service agency that just not meaning to, you know, bad mouth them or anything. They, they've subsequently, they've gone out of business for a few years, but uh, it was just a comedy of errors. Like everything from the personnel, like it, it could have absolutely been a sitcom, but it was a really like <laughs> kind of a negative, you know, environment. And uh, I didn't appreciate all the things I learned by going through that kind of hell until I started my own and I realized my worst client was better than some of my best clients at the old place. And the things that, you know, we thought were troublesome now uh, with the organization I started are, you know, bumps in the road compared to, you know, the Grand Canyon of kind of things we would run into at the old place. Um, so I, I would say if you're, you're in a situation where either you've had or you feel like you are now in a, uh, a negative workspace, there's a lot to be learned. Don't keep yourself there, but uh, you'll definitely come out of it for the better. <laughs> But it's funny that some of the uh, some of the most poignant lessons are the most painful. <laughs> this is this is the truth. What is it? Uh, experience is what you get when you didn't get what you wanted. <laughs> yes, perfect. So, all right. So, give our listeners a little um, context around Yokonko, kind of how it got founded and, and the story there. What what were you hoping to bring to the market? Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it dovetails pretty nicely. So I was with that full service firm and um, we worked with a lot of luxury brands uh, at the time, like hospitality, especially. And we were working with a bunch of the cruise lines, like all of them basically do the same marketing. And the this was around 2008, early 2009, whenever the economy had that huge downturn, people were not booking cruises like they used to. <laughs> and the client had come to us and they basically said, hey, we feel like by the time we know we've got a, a ship leaving Baltimore uh, with 500 rooms in it, by the time we've asked you to, for a postcard, you've designed it, we've approved it, and we've posted it, the ship has literally set sail. Like It's taking too long for us to be able to get to our target audience. Can you guys do anything faster? And uh, 
I was really excited. I'd been raised on interactive media and I said, this is a great opportunity for you guys to take advantage of social media, control some of your own platforms and do some like flash sale opportunities. And as a part of that, one of the things I'd asked us to do is I said, hey, we probably also need to step back our budget. And so I understood that. <laughs> of course. And as you do, but I said, look, you guys are doing so much in direct mail. I was like, keep doing direct mail to some extent because we know it has some level of effective uh, effectiveness. And then this other, you know, 20% or so, let us play around with some of these digital platforms and, you know, they'll be quicker to market. You'll be able to test them a little bit more quickly and iterate more quickly. And they agreed. I came back, uh, you know, into town, felt pretty good about myself. We were going to get to do some stuff that I considered a little bit more fun because designing a postcard with a logo, a ship, a smiling couple and a you know destination <laughs> in the background gets old real quick. And, um, the owner basically says, well, we make a lot of money off of them doing direct mail. So you need to go back and convince them to keep doing what they were doing. And I was like, I, dude, I was like, I don't think that's the right move. I don't think we should do that. And he's like, well, you don't really have a choice. My sister already booked you a flight. So you'll just, you head back there tomorrow. And I said, well, I do have a choice. And you know, I was what, 23, 24 at the time. And I just, I had a banker's box at the end of my desk uh, that I was just holding some papers. And I just remember sliding my arm across my desk and like pushing everything into the box. <laughs> it was like, all right, like if that's your choice, like you need, and that's, I left and I spent about a month thinking about what I wanted to do. And out of that came, uh, came Yoko CEO. And it was just basically me consulting initially feeling like if that was the way people were treating their clients, you know, I could certainly do it better. And, um, you know, from there, uh, we've been fortunate enough to grow. So we're a web presence management firm. So help a lot with creating your web presence, be that your website design and development, um, creating content for the web. So video production, copywriting, animation, illustration, infographics, all that fun stuff. And then working in the systems to use it on an ongoing basis. So how do you optimize for search, for social media? How do you set up marketing automation and email marketing and text messaging and, you know, for some clients, mobile apps and all that fun stuff. Anything that touches their web presence tends to be something that, uh, that we help them out with. And we do that specifically for organizations that have a passion or a purpose beyond just profit. We know you have to have profit. It's like, you know, gas in a gas tank. You've got to get from point A to point B. But if your goal is just to get to you know another gas station and get a bigger tank of gas, those are usually on our people. We want to work with people that really want to have a meaningful impact on the world. Well, and that's an important, very important different, um, differentiation point, right? So having spent myself 10 years in, in that space working for agencies and having had probably very similar conversations that... that, that <laughs> Like, I understand that this quarter, the billables will go down. However, the longer term <laughs> play will help their business. And if they do, if we do that, it, they'll spend more money. Yeah. And I'm not worried about two quarters from now. I'm worried about next quarter. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> Definitely. All too common. Yeah. Way, and it's unfortunate because that, the, the, from my perspective, the onslaught of the technology, especially in the marketing space and the, and the opportunity you have to truly connect to whether it be B2B or B2C, connect to the consumer or your customers in a truly authentic way that isn't overwhelming and to understand what those businesses are trying to accomplish beyond profit, right? We all know. That, that you have to have the money, right? Like you said, you have to have it. But they're, the companies that are succeeding today, we're moving into that space where there has to be something more that's driving it. Or it has to be so well designed that you're not questioning the why. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. And a, a big part of that, that is short-sightedness is just I feel like everyone uses that same scorecard to compare themselves. It's, you know, okay, oh, it's that quarterly business result. And everyone gets so myopically focused on that that they forget, you know, the relationships last far longer than the quarter. The impact of the work you do 
has a ripple effect that is far greater than the quarter. But if that's the only thing you're focused on, yeah, you're going to do a lot of things to help make that number look better, despite the negative impact that's going to have on so many other avenues. Absolutely. And I've seen, I've seen it, man. I've seen, I know we're off script here, but we're already off script guys. So sorry, audience, but you know, it's funny. I've seen CEOs or executives inside of those agencies of those services firms that have, I would, I mean, I would almost say borderline abusive to the employees to drive them to deliver to a deadline or an outcome that is not realistic, was never vetted. It does not really align with what the customer wants, all because they're focused on the, that simple dollar rather than, hey, let's look at the outcome that we want to get. What are the ripples from that? What else can it do to the business? How do we team on this together? And look, being creative and keeping your head above water in this amazingly complex technological swamp that we're all in takes a lot of energy. So it doesn't happen overnight. Like, I don't know why people are afraid to have those conversations. It's, you know, we spend a lot of time thinking and talking about that. And I, I, do think a lot of it is it's very odd because you'll see you know businesses are by their very nature started by entrepreneurs or people that have some kind of entrepreneurial spirit and there's entrepreneurs and all the different ways we've used that term but ultimately you know the original uh meaning of the phrase was just somebody who seeks to make you know a meaningful change and so we would have all these people that you think are like oh this is an out of the box thinker and they they started this entrepreneurial thing and then we all use the exact same scorecard to compare ourselves to each other. And so rather than being this out-of-the-box thinker, people start with like these great different ideas and then they immediately go to compare the exact same statistics. <laughs> by like the scorecard that matters most to you and being your own person, you immediately go into, you know, comparison with others. And that's, I mean, you know, obviously there's always a competitive nature to like everything we as humans do. But I mean, the big part of it is if you can break yourself of that habit and it's societally reinforced. So I think it's really difficult to break out of it. But if you can break out of that and say, you know what, our scorecard is like, yes, we need to be profitable. We need to drive revenue so we can all, you know, feed and shelter our families and do the things that we need to do. But the thing that we're really excited about is having this kind of impact or doing this kind of thing or this, that, and use that as your guiding light. I think that fundamentally changes the way you operate an organization because you're no longer playing by that scorecard where you feel like you've got to do, you know, the business version of keeping up with the Joneses. Absolutely. Yeah. 100% right. And it's funny because I've seen companies who truly embrace it, like who, who really are working backwards from the impact we want to have, knowing that profit is a, a, a pillar, a foundational pillar you have to have. Um, but they work backwards from that intended outcome. And I've also seen organizations, uh, and maybe it was because the space I was in, design it to look like you know what I mean? They're coming from that. But when you, when you pull back the covers, you realize, no, this, this shit's got bed bugs real bad. Yeah. It's a, uh, well, what is it? There was like, um, good to great firms of endearment. Uh, Yannick Silver's like evolved enterprise. So there's like these slew of like really good books that talk about how business organizations can have like a meaningful impact and, you know, talk about the good that they're doing. And, oh, it turns out that these businesses with the mission also seem to be, you know, more profitable, higher <laughs> revenue, longer lasting, et cetera. And so then a bunch of people said like, oh, the secret is to like, say, we really care about sustainability. And yeah. like you said, it's just window dressing. And then as soon as you start to work with them or you do any kind of research into like, oh, well, how are you really committed to this? And they're like, well, our copy says so. And that's as far <laughs> as it goes. And it's just, you know, this, like, like you said, it's just, you pull back the sheets and you see, it's just, you know, uh, an infested pit. Whereas, you know, 
you can work with some other organizations where maybe they're not the greatest about marketing the impact they're doing, but they truly believe it. It's a core belief. It's like, um, uh, I don't remember which one it is. I don't attempt to slam here, but I think was it, um, Anheuser-Busch, I think, took out a, a Super Bowl ad to talk about all the water they sent down to uh, <laughs> somebody that was affected by uh, the, the hurricane. And they're like, oh, you know, we sent all this water. And then, you know, it leaked that they let out, they donated $50,000 worth of water and they paid, what is it, $1.75 million for the Super Bowl spot. And it's like, oh, how selfless of you. <laughs> <laughs> there is a real, there, there is a real environment we live in for better or for worse where access to information and the truth does come out. So you can't hide as easily anymore. I mean, even in the last, I'd say, man, eight years, I've seen that kind of shift because back, Back in the day, I don't feel like it's that long. <laughs> Back in the day, it, you could tell companies looked great, the website looked great, but there wasn't enough connected data flow for us to follow to find out just how true it was or not, unless you worked there or you worked with them. And now, you know, stuff doesn't stay silent for very long. So you gotta be really careful how you, how you approach the market and the brand promise. I mean, I think a brand promise, that experiential promise, that impact to the world, not only your, your customers, I think that's critical for businesses we move forward and technologies enabling us to do that at a speed we had not anticipated. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think it matches, you know, what you see with the, the cultural shift. So, you know, there was a time where if you could take the technology we had now and you give it back to folks in like the sixties and seventies, like it just might be like, yeah, you say one thing and then you do another and that's how business is done. <laughs> but then, you know, we raised, you know, our children and a lot of people, uh, I hear complain about, oh, like, oh, the millennials, like, you know, they'll come in and if something isn't exactly the way they want it, you know, they're going to complain about it and everything. And while, there's pros and cons to it. I think one of the biggest, you know, pros of it is, Hey, we raised this generation to be like, Hey, here's like what a great ideal world could look like. And now they're starting to do the things that make the world into that shape. And a bunch of people are complaining about it and like, Oh, well now they're ruining our profitability. And it's like, well, maybe if you go about being profitable in a way that is positive for more people than just yourself, like there's going to be a little bit more buy-in for that. But a lot of those walls, like you said, are really coming down now, thanks to technology and yeah, I think some people look at it as a big negative. I, I think it's a, it's certainly one of the bigger uh, positives and one of the tools that I think will continue to uh, to shape society. Well, and it, and it's fascinating from a what's possible standpoint, right? It, it's a different frame, it's a different set of lenses, whatever you want to call it. It, it gives us a different perspective that is both broader and deeper than the businesses we experienced 15, 20 years ago. Now that gets us maybe back on track, which is in order to pull that, in order to really pull that off, companies today have to focus on company culture. So you can't, it's not enough to say it. You got to live it. You got to do it. And, and I'm curious when we started prepping for this, company culture was one of the things that you had hit on, um, in the packets you got sent over. I'm curious, why is that a topic you're so passionate about? I think, uh, you know, it kind of goes back to the question you asked earlier is I just, I had worked in a lot of environments where, company culture didn't happen intentionally, but like the culture happens regardless. It's just, it's either an unintentional thing or it's an intentional thing. And so, I mean, even before I worked at that dysfunctional agency, I'd mentioned, um, you know, I worked in sales roles previously. I'd worked in the world of like uh, media sales and radio and all of them were just very, again, focused on, you know, this one number. And that was kind of the end all be all thing. And then the rest of it was whatever may come. 
And if you don't do it intentionally, it has a way of kind of getting away from you. And I think that that's what most organizations I see run into is they don't do it intentionally. So there's not any purpose behind their culture. So it just kind of happens and it's shaped by whoever happens to be there at the time. It tends to, I think, without leadership leading, uh, it tends to be a little bit more negative. And then ultimately what ends up happening is you've got, you know, kind of the kids running the schoolyard where it's just all chaos going in a bunch of different directions. And people wonder why it's, you know, a dysfunctional workplace or why it's toxic. Whereas whenever you do it with intention, you can certainly look to build something that has a little bit more of a, a unifying theme behind it, allows people to feel more aligned with the work they're doing, more empowered to do it. Ultimately, I think a lot of, and if we think about, you know, the companies we were just talking about that were kind of a little bit more in the past, it's just actually like really caring and giving a shit about the people you work with (laughs) is such a big differentiator that, you know, you felt like at least a lot of the companies I worked at, I felt like with the exception of maybe two or three people, I was just a line item. Right. And so I feel like if that's the way people feel whenever they go into work, like, why would you feel excited about going into work? Um, But if you really, you know, understand and have a relationship with the people you're working with and you feel aligned with the type of work you're doing, which is why we choose to work with the clients that we work with, then I think there's, you know, uh, oh, okay, I understand the impact I have. I get to work with people that I like working with that, you know, uh, make my day better as opposed to me dreading meetings and making days worse. And I get to do something that I happen to be really, really good at. And you put all those three, three of those things together, then I think you have a recipe to build something that really has legs. Uh, and to whatever end, you know, you believe that organization should be leveraged is, you know, up to, up to each person themselves. But for us, it's really about making that positive impact. Well, and you got to go through that, that hellacious experience at, at the agency that shall not be named. And, you, and, and then you have the opportunity now as you're, as you're growing Yoko CO to, to design it, to design that cu- culture with intent. And the, there's two parts to that that I have always found intriguing. The design elements, the design thinking, basically being present. What is the, what does the engagement mm-hmm. framework look like? And then, how do you, how do you care for it? How do you feed it? How do you measure it? How do you ensure that it's working? So as you've approached this at, at your company, um, what are some of the things you've, you know, kept an eye on to make sure the outcome of the culture, uh, is where you want it to be? Yeah. So, uh, there's a, there's a handful of things and there's some tools I can recommend as well that we use. Um, but the, it all started with, you know, it's, the company started with me as a consultant. So every single person that's joined the team was somebody that I knew personally. And my goal as we started to add people to the team was I wanted to build a place that even if I wasn't the one running it, I would want to work there. And I tend to be the person that like didn't fit in really well at school, like tend to push back against any kind of, uh, you know, authority at all. I'm a night owl. So like, I just like, being at work at eight to four or five, like wouldn't work for me. So it's like, how do we build a culture that allows people to focus on the end outcome of the work they're doing and do it in the way that works best for them and really try to provide that freedom. So that was kind of a guiding tenet as we got started besides simply, you know, wanting to make sure that the people that were working with and for us uh, were well taken care of to monitor that and to kind of help put some guide rails up as we've continued to grow and to look in deeper into certain facets of culture. We use a platform called Office Vibe. I don't know if you've heard of that one. I haven't. It's pretty cool. It uh, it's If you use Slack, it can do it via Slack. If you just use email, it, it sends out every so often, however you want it to, a list of five to 10 questions to all of your team members. 
and they get to answer them basically like scale of one to 10, one to five kind of stuff. And then some open-ended questions to get an idea of how they feel about how their relationship with their peers, their manager, how they feel about being an ambassador for the brand. How do they feel their views are represented? Do they feel like they can share good ideas? How do they feel about stress, about wellness, about all these different kind of facets and dynamics that work within any organization so that if and where you see there are things you're doing really well, you can examine it and understand like, okay, great. These are some things we need to keep intact. And where there are things that maybe you're not doing uh, so well in, you can really pay attention to it and be more proactive about it as opposed to just, you know, finding out somebody is really miserable and they feel super unhealthy. And that whole time you could have kicked in an extra, hey, we'll throw in 50 bucks for you to have a gym membership or something. If that's really the thing keeping you back, like, great, let's have that conversation. Let's let you be a happier, healthier person. And right. uh, so that's one of the most useful tools I, I think I found that and just having open and regular you know, honest dialogue with the team about the situation we're kind of all in at any given point and not making anything off limits in terms of conversation. And, and that's, I think that's a critical component. It has to be, um, I, and I <laughs> hesitate to use this word. Uh, it has to be uh, a safe space, essentially, right? People yeah. have to be able to come in and, and bring their concerns, perspectives, or, or vulnerability. I'm honestly, if we're talking about the whole person, right? A company that's designed with the whole person in mind, not just the person that shows up from, you know, eight to five or whatever, <laughs> then there's got to be a level of safety that engenders and, and inspires some level of vulnerability with either peers and or the management structure inside the organization. Or am I just way off in left field? No, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. If you're not, because what happens if you can't let somebody be, you know, vulnerable or open or you put something off limits, I think that starts to have a creep effect. And it's also something you've shown to the team. So if somebody asked a question that you didn't want to answer and you shut it down, it now shows like, oh, so we're not really talking about everything. <laughs> now we're shutting this down. And so that starts to bleed off. Maybe somebody else thought they had something that you would have answered, but now they're not even going to ask it. Because they feel like, oh, well, maybe it's, it's too similar to what that other person asked or whatever the case might be. Um, so it's absolutely got to be a place where people can feel comfortable having the conversation. And even I find whenever you do that, you can have all of the rhetoric and discussion around like, hey, we're super open and we want to be transparent and ask us anything. And this is something that took me a while to recognize, but is even simply by the dynamics of your role and relationship with one another – people are still very likely going to be hesitant to bring certain types of news to you, uh, sure. especially if they're, if they're a subordinate. So if somebody reports up to you, they're you know going to be less likely to say like, Hey, I'm kind of unhappy with this facet of my job, or I'm looking for another job or, Hey, why do we do this this way? Or I don't like that. You have to not only let it say like, Hey, I have an open door policy or whatever. I feel like you have to actively solicit and ask for that feedback. Uh, or you're not going to get it. People, you know, are not willingly going to leave their comfort zone, at least not initially, to share stuff that they think is going to negatively affect your relationship with you, especially whenever they feel like, hey, maybe my job is on the line. It isn't until you've proven a few times that, hey, by having this conversation, we can collectively make things better, that people might start to feel comfortable bringing that stuff to you proactively. Well, I think that's an extremely important point, right? Because as I've gone through my career, I've seen it over and over. I've had this and I'm doing the air quotes discussions with executives when I wasn't one about, Hey, you're not hearing this from people because you're the boss. You, you have exactly. control. You have power over their financial ability to provide for their family. And then this stupid ass arguments that you would have, or no, that's not true. They would come tell me, no, I'm telling you they wouldn't. 
I would <laughs> I have a little bit of an odd streak that way, but they're not going to come in here and tell you this. And it has nothing to do with you as a person. It has to do with the dynamic that is in play in the organization. So don't take it personally. It's not about you. This is just the reality. <laughs> and so, hey, how about a little bit of effort to step out and, and go find the information rather than just sit back and think they're going to bring it to you. I think the further up you go in an organization, at least in my experience, the more effort is required to go seek out out that feedback and if you sit back and just wait for it it doesn't it doesn't show up and then you're making decisions around company culture strategy and direction in a vacuum absolutely that i was about to say the exact same thing is you're making it in a vacuum and you're doing it with inertia that might be leading you you know towards the iceberg but because you haven't gotten any <laughs> feedback you're like oh man everything is great and then before you know it um i have a friend who ran a company who uh well i don't know friend acquaintance whatever but you know thought everything was going really, really well. And then had like eight key people all quit within around six weeks just because, you know, they were afraid to share the things that they wanted to share. They thought there were a lot of problems. And then, you know, one person quit and that broke the dam for everyone else to be like, Oh, that's right. We don't have to be here. And you know, now it's a jailbreak. Um, but if you're not actively soliciting that information, he was caught totally off guard. He was like, I thought everything was great. Um, he was a little bit more like an app and T uh, owner at that point, which is probably a big part of it too. But if you know, you're not uh, like, I kind of subscribe to Simon Sinek's philosophy around like leadership. So like, if you're not at the table and you're not there working with people on stuff, it's going to be really hard to see things from their point of view. And if you're not actively asking them for that feedback, you're just never going to get it. Agreed 100%. All right, let's change direction here a little bit. We ask all of our guests two standard questions towards the end of each interview. First is simply as a CEO, that makes you a target or prospect <laughs> or certain people who are trying to get in front of you. I'm always interested in finding out what is it for you? If somebody doesn't have a relationship, there's not a referral in, there's no established trust, credibility, rapport. What is it that you have found is the most effective way for someone to get in front of you and earn the right to get 15 minutes on your calendar? Oh man, the best way to do it is if you just send me a cold email and then after I don't respond to it, if you follow up five, six, seven, eight, nine times with more cold emails, it's definitely going to get you in. Um, no, I mean, we get you, obviously everybody gets so many of those. God, it's the worst. I don't know how people continue to do it, but somebody must be answering those. On my side of things, I, it, the thing that tends to break through, and I hesitate to say this for someone to use it against me, but it's like asking for help. Like I'm more than happy. I have, I encourage like all of my relatives who are graduating from college or looking into new careers to email people that are in the industry there they want to be in and just be like, look, I know it seems weird if you offer to take them out for lunch. And just say, hey, what would you? What advice would you give yourself when you were this age if you were getting into this industry? You'll be amazed how many people are willing to talk to you. As soon as you work in, like, oh, and could I also interview for this? Or oh, is there something you can do for me beyond just you know, kind of provide some information? Like that's when it becomes really disingenuous. But if somebody is, you know, hey, I've been getting into this world and I'm looking to learn more, then I think that's an opportunity to be like, great, like I'm more than happy to have a conversation with you. And who happened to? represent technology or something and you're not going to be pushing it, uh, but you want to introduce it and we have a relationship first, then, you know, by all means, uh, you know, maybe the conversation will go there. And I think that's, I think it's a critical point that not enough people, I hear it a lot, but not enough people are taking to heart, which is have the relationship first. Don't lead with this thing, whatever it may be, your service, your solution, your product, whatever it is, don't lead with that. That's not what people didn't wake up in the morning and go, wow, I hope somebody approaches me today with a really cool solution I haven't thought of. Nobody wakes up <laughs> does that. But the opportunity to, to learn from somebody. Today. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the opportunity to learn from somebody or to help somebody, that's, that is much more genuine and authentic. All right. Last question. We call it our acceleration insight. There's one thing you could tell sales, marketing, professional services people, one piece of advice that you would give them that you believe would help them hit their targets or exceed their goals. What would it be and why? Uh, I mean, following with what we just talked about, it would be play the long game. So I know that's not always fun to hear whenever your, you know, manager or VP or whatever it is is breathing down your neck about quotas and everything. But uh, ultimately, if you can build a network of people that know that you as a person are a reliable, steadfast partner that no matter what organization you represent or you feel is appropriate to tie yourself into, that you're going to deliver results. And if things go wrong, you're going to be the one to make it right. And you're willing to put your name on the line. That is a network that is going to be worth far more than any list you can buy, any list you can rent, any lead that somebody provides you that, you know, oh, here's some leads from our website, whatever the case might be. Having those relationships is something that is portable. It comes with you. It travels. It adds value anywhere you go. And while it might not always be nice to hear in terms of, you know, what you're looking for, uh, you know, to hit the, uh, the quarterly quota, it's absolutely something that in the long term is going to pay dividends. I agree 100%. I had the opportunity when I was uh, working on my MBA to be in, to do business in China. And the, the, it was funny. I was like a year and a half into my MBA, I paid a crap ton of money. Uh, and I go over to China and I go, Oh crap. Everything I learned just does not work here because we focus on quarterly numbers. We maybe think about year end. They're thinking generationally. And so yeah. playing that long game, like the everything that you, I just, and then I'm thinking to myself, well, crap, that was money that I'm not going to get back. But, um, <laughs> but I mean, but it was a great educational experience to understand the difference in that time. And I think that's an extremely valuable insight for anybody listening today. So pay attention to that one, listeners. Uh, Chris, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way? Want to learn more about Yoko CEO or, or you as an individual? Where would we, where would you like us to send them? Yeah. So, I mean, the best places are just uh, right on the web. So Y-O-K-O-C-O.com. That's uh, the company's website. And then just my website's uh, Chris Yoko, Y-O-K-O.com. And uh, that's where you can find us. Excellent. Chris, I can't thank you enough for taking time to be on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, Chad, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. All right, everybody. That does it for this episode. You know the drill. Check us out at b2brevexec.com. Share the episode with friends, family, coworkers. Help some other people out. Give them some insight in their day. Recommend us for drop us a review on iTunes. And until next time, we at Value Selling Associates wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.